Father, bless these words to our hearts in Jesus' name. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm chapter 73. In verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the rock and firm strength of my heart and my portion forever. Who do I have in heaven but God, and who do I desire on earth but God? Desire is the word hapas in the original language, and it means to delight, to have pleasure in, or to favor. Now, we were created for relationship. That's why God made us. We were created for relationship. The nature of that relationship was for us to receive the love of God. That's why the things that happened in the Garden of Eden took place. Because God needed suitable recipients for the love of God, He had to allow certain things to take place to make us eligible to receive patience and kindness first, followed by all the other expressions of love. We were created for relationship. But, and this might bother you a little bit, this might surprise you a little bit, this may seem a little difficult for you. We were only created for one relationship. Now, a lot of people take their identity from their relationships. They're not happy if they don't have relationships. They feel that relationships are something they absolutely must have or they will not be happy in their life. But you were only created for one relationship. You weren't even created for marriage for that matter. Marriage is given as a divine institution from God, but that's not what you were created for. You were created for only one relationship, and that is your relationship to God. Every other relationship, in order for it to work, in order for it to be a proper, honest, meaningful relationship, every other relationship must be an extension of the relationship that you have to God. If you have friendships, they must be an extension of your friendship to God. If you are married, that must be an extension of your love relationship with God. Unless your relationship is an extension of your relationship to God, it will be what's called a soul power relationship. Soul power is very damaging stuff. It's also very common. Most relationships in Christianity and all relationships in the world are soul power relationships. In other words, there's something about your soul that responds to something about my soul. And because those two souls work together, those two characteristics work together, we'll develop a soul power relationship. But they're not healthy relationships, they're not godly relationships, and often the reason why relationships fail is because they were soul power. There is, for example, no divorce that has ever happened that was not 
sourced in a soul power relationship. If a person is married and their relationship is a soul power relationship, eventually it can easily happen that one person gets tired of the other person. The reason for that is that it was soul power. Soul power relationships replace the love of God in that relationship. They are by definition outside of God's love. But if a relationship is to work, it must be a love of God relationship. That's why every friendship we have, every relationship we have, has to be an extension of the relationship we have to God. Because you want God to be the emphasis and center of that relationship. If He's not, it cannot be healthy. Because you're not designed for that. For example, if you eat foods, nutritionists tell us, that are natural foods, plants, lean animal food, then it will create a healthy body for you. But if you eat foods that are man-processed, that are man-made, and although they can taste good, they're not healthy for you. Eventually, they'll make you sick. Food companies addict people to sugar. That's no secret. They pour sugar into everything because sugar is addictive. But if you have that sugar enough, you're going to get diabetes, you're going to get heart disease, you're going to get cancer, you're going to get all kinds of problems in your body, high blood pressure, high cholesterol even, because sugar can be converted to cholesterol in your liver. You're going to have all kinds of problems. That's like a soul power relationship. It starts out, it feels good. You may even have fun with it. But it's not a healthy relationship. It's not a relationship that can sustain. It's a relationship that will eventually become destructive in some fashion or another because inevitably some area of your soul will clash with some area of my soul when there is a soul power relationship and the relationship starts to end. Now, if you have something like a family relationship or a marriage relationship, where ending it is not as easy as a casual friendship, then that soul power relationship can lead to destruction of it, yes, but... Both people don't necessarily have to live in soul power. If one of those people lives in soul power and the other person lives in that relationship through the relationship they have to God, in other words, the way they relate to the other person is an extension of what they are receiving from God in their friendship with God, in their intimacy, their closeness with God, if it's an extension of that, but the other one is living in soul power, then you have a ministry. If they both live in a relationship whereby they're both receiving from God, in both cases it is an extension of what they are receiving from Him, then you have a true relationship. 
If neither one of you has it, then it's pure soul power. It is a counterfeit relationship. Beware of counterfeit relationships. They're toxic. Even if they seem good, they're toxic. Because ultimately, they will emphasize something. Ultimately, the center of them is going to be something. Ultimately, the focus of them will be something other than that which is life-giving. The only thing that is life-giving is a relationship to God. That's Galatians 2.20. If a person lives in self-orientation, they will necessarily have soul-power relationships. Because there's nothing else available. If a person lives in God orientation, whereby they are enjoying the life of God in Galatians 2.20, then they will have the proper form of relationships because those relationships will be an overflow of that which they have with God. If you are not married... Be careful that you do not approach marriage with soul power. This is one of the reasons why I tell people don't date. A lot of people, a lot of Christians really resent it when I say that. Because they're trying to establish their relationships in soul power. Dating is all about soul power. It's trying people on like a pair of jeans. And then they're surprised when things don't work out. Well, of course. Now, consider something. Paul said in Romans 7.18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing. Soul power comes from within me. So, if you have a soul-power relationship, the only thing that comes out of that is me. But, nothing good dwells there. There's nothing good in me. Now, how are you going to develop a healthy friendship, a healthy relationship, a healthy marriage, healthy whatever kind of relationship you want to talk about, when it's based on nothing good? But that's what soul-power does. In dating, you kind of try the person on for size. God doesn't try anyone on for size. God doesn't say to this person, eh, I don't like your personality, I don't like your sense of humor, you're too serious, you're not serious enough, you're too goofy, you're not goofy enough, you're too much this, you're not enough of that. God doesn't do that with anyone. And you may say to yourself, well, I'm not God, and I'm saying you just made a mistake. In Ephesians 2, 15 and 16, you are one person with Christ. That is who you are. If you live outside of that, you live outside of who you are. If your relationships are outside of that, they are in soul power. The most healthy relationships that exist, the closest, most intimate, wonderful relationships that exist, no matter what sort they are, are the ones that are an extension of their relationship with Christ first. And when that is shared between two people, that relationship becomes very rich, very fulfilling, very satisfying. 
if you're basing it on dating, then you're basing it on natural preference. Your natural preference has nothing good in it. Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil by natural preference and all of human history was destroyed by Eve wanting natural preference. And people approach their friendships, their relationship, their marriage that way. You have no idea what's coming down the road. You don't. You have no idea what that person is really like. You don't know their genetic makeup. You don't know their history. And you certainly don't know their future. You don't know your own future. I remember a situation years ago. Pastor Stevens talked about that. You had these two people who were madly in love, engaged to be married. You could not separate them. And then a young man had a car accident and he lost his eyesight because he was injured. And it took away his eyesight. A couple months later, the young woman broke up with him. And he asked her, were you going to marry me for my eyesight? And she said, apparently I was. They had a soul power relationship. That relationship, although it seemed strong, although it seemed powerful, was extremely weak. Because it was based on something about her soul, appreciating something about his soul, and the other way around. And that was the foundation. That does not last. But you don't know that. You don't know what's coming. You don't know the person because you don't know their future. You may think you know them. You may be with them for years and years before you marry them. You still don't know them because you don't know, you cannot know their future. And at best, you know what they are like from what they allow you to see. But you can't see their heart. You don't know them. The best way to enter into a relationship in Genesis 24 is exactly the way that Isaac did it. Now, there's a lot of typology in Genesis 24, but the way that Isaac got married was Abraham, his father, sent out one of his best, most trusted servants to go to his kinsmen and find Isaac a wife. The servant prayed in order to find her. And he told God, the person, the woman who comes to the well, that's going to be the right one. Sure enough, Rebecca was there. And she was asked, would you consider, without even meeting Isaac? And she said, yeah, I would. The volition was still involved. But it was seeking God first. And God brought them together. You're much better seeking God for your relationships than you are trying to figure them out yourself because you will never figure them out. You're not able. If you could see the future and you could see the heart and you could see the genetics and you could see the makeup of a person then you might have a chance, but you can't see any of those. You're not able.
But God can see all of them. God says that he is for us and not against us. God says that his thoughts are thoughts for our benefit in Jeremiah 29.11, not thoughts against us. We can trust God who says in Ephesians 3.20 that he goes above and beyond all that we can ask or think to also go above and beyond all that we can ask or think in our relationships. That doesn't mean your relationships won't bring a challenge. That means that your relationships will achieve exactly what God intended. Remember, they're never just there so you would have company. A lot of people want a relationship just so they want somebody there to talk to. It's much more than that. And anybody who's been married will attest to it. It's much more than that. If it's to be good, it has to come from God. It cannot be soul power. But the vast majority of Christians live in soul power. You don't need soul power relationships with your closest friends. Your heart should not desire people or things on earth. Who do I have in heaven, God, but you? Who do I desire on earth but you? Well, if I enter into that kind of thinking, then all the relationships that God does bring into my life are going to be high quality. Remember, in Matthew 6.35, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Including relationships, including friendships, including marriage, including children. Whatever it is that God has for you, it will be added to you by God if you're seeking first His kingdom, not soul power. Soul power is highly destructive. Unfaithfulness takes place because of soul power. If a woman goes out on her husband or a husband goes out on his wife, it's always because of soul power. Something about his soul or something about her soul has stopped appreciating the other. They were in soul power. And so it didn't last. A relationship that is an overflow of the life of God has nothing to do with the soul of the person. It has everything about your union with Christ. It's simply an extension of what you already have in the richest portion of it. Now, God is not looking for people to spend their life alone. And the vast majority of people, although not everybody, but the majority of people are called to be married. The problem is that Christians don't know how to go about that. They go about it in the same way the world does. Hey, she's good looking. He's handsome. He makes me laugh. She laughs at my jokes. That has nothing to do with anything. Good-looking or handsome can change in two seconds if the wrong car meets you. That is nothing. 
You don't know what the person is like. You don't know what the person will be like. How often do you hear on the news some guy beat up some woman and then that relationship's over. She ended up in the hospital. He's in jail. Well, you know what? It didn't start that way. Soul power. That is all soul power. Watch out for soul power. In Matthew 16.22, when Jesus told his disciples that he's going to the cross, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine this. He was rebuking God. That's soul power. Peter took him aside and started to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he, that is to say Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Peter had a sentimental soul power relationship to Jesus. He felt the need to protect him. Now we saw what happened the evening that Jesus was taken, the day before he was crucified, how far that protection went. Ten-year-old little girl, wouldn't you with him? No, I don't even know him. He didn't recognize his own thinking. He didn't recognize who he was. He didn't recognize his own spirit because he was living in soul power. Soul power will not allow you to see things as they actually are. It will give you no discernment. Pastor Stevens said this, Sentimentality is a soul power rapport or appreciation that is rooted in the needs of Adam, in your old sin nature. Remember, when we talk about Adam, we're talking about the original Adam, the fallen Adam, the sin nature. Living in the emotions, in a subjective relationship, it appeals to sentiment and is swayed by sentiment towards someone else. That's soul power. How many times does it happen that something about the person just draws you to them out of sentimentality? Young women, for some reason, are much more susceptible to this one aspect of it than men. They'll find a guy who's a bad boy, and they think they can fix him. And their ego gets involved, thinking, well, he's cute, but he's a bad boy. I'm going to fix him. He'll get to know me, and then he'll completely change. But he's shopping, and he recognizes it, and he goes with it, because he's shopping. He wants something, and it's not a relationship. He's shopping. And so she gets together with this bad boy that she can change, although he is cute. I mean, got to give him that. He is cute. And she's going to change him. You know how often that works? Never. Never. One of two things happens. Either she changes or she pays. 
one or the other. She changes or she pays. And the relationship is over. And she's scratching her head thinking, what happened? What happened was soul power. Ego can bring you into soul power. Sentimentality can bring you into soul power. Both of those things, if a relationship is based in ego or if a relationship is based in sentimentality, it is soul power. Soul power does not work. It does not possess the life of God. In Philippians 1.9, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. In any relationship you're in, you use doctrine and its various applications so that you do not fall into sentimentality. Remember, sentimentality will bring you into soul power relationships. Using doctrine and applying doctrine will protect you from soul power relationships. Have the word of God be between you and you will be protected by soul power relationships. If emotions are between you, you're not protected. If the same thinking is in you, you will not be protected. You appreciate or enjoy the same things, you are not protected. It's great if those things come along with it, but that's not what it's established on. Those are the icing, they are not the cake. If you have no cake, then the icing is useless. It tastes sweet, it'll give you diabetes. We use doctrine in our thinking. We use the mind of Christ in our thinking to protect us from sentimentality. Peter was sentimental toward Jesus. Jesus called him Satan. You want to be careful. Nothing is going to come out well through sentimentality. I'm not saying be harsh, be unkind to people. I'm not saying mistreat them. I'm not saying be impatient. I'm saying don't be sentimental. Sentimentality will tolerate flesh, not in the other person, but in yourself toward that person. In other words, your flesh is the source of your sentimentality. Your old sin nature is the source of your sentimentality. The only way for me to step out of sentimentality is to not be influenced by my sin nature. And the only way that's going to happen is the Word of God resident in my frame of reference. In John 13.35, By this all will know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And in 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If your relationships are correct, then those relationships will be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you. If you are manifesting the Holy Spirit in you, He will give you wisdom for the things that go on in your relationships. Because in John 16.13, He guides you in all truth. 
So when I have a relationship, I operate in wisdom. Now here's the thing. You can have a situation where the relationship in truth is a ministry. It may not be an unpleasant ministry, but it's still a ministry. And one person is living by the power of the Holy Spirit and their relationship toward the other is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's life in them. And the other person is living in carnality. Carnality is extremely manipulative. If a person is living in sentimentality, they will be manipulative or they will be easily manipulated. But carnality, in other words, living in the old sin nature, is extremely manipulative. And that other person may accuse the one who is living in a relationship with God of not caring, of not being what God would have, of not in any way manifesting the Holy Spirit or truth toward them because they are manipulating. They want something, they're not receiving it at the moment, and so they start to manipulate. People will manipulate with things like anger, with things like reactions, negativity, criticism, those are all manipulation. If a person is living correctly in their relationship with God and they are on a relationship with a person that is a ministry, they have to beware of this manipulation. They have to exercise wisdom from God in order to avoid soul power. Once you become manipulated, you will enter into soul power, which is, of course, the goal of the manipulation. Soul power is toxic. But that other person's old sin nature is going to demand that you meet some desire, some need, or just plain honor it. That's toxic. That will bring you, if you yield to it, into soul power. You can't yield to it. I'm not saying be unkind. I'm not saying be harsh. I'm not even saying that you rebuke that person because they may not have the capacity for correction. I'm saying you don't yield to it. You use the Word of God in your frame of reference to help with discernment. Once you discern what something is, you'll know what to do about it. In Psalm 42.7, the deep calls unto the deep. At the noise of your waterfalls. Waterfalls are the intake of doctrine. The deep calls unto the deep. There is a healthy relationship. That's how your relationship to God starts. God implements doctrine and it calls to you. It calls to your soul. And if you are saved, it calls to your spirit, which then transfers what it receives from God to your soul. The deep calls unto the deep. Relationships have to work the same way. The deep calls unto the deep. That which I receive from God calls to you 
in that which you receive from God. The deep calls to the deep. Your relationship is rooted in the word of God. Not through religious thinking, not through striving, not through anything awkward, not through anything manipulated, not through anything strange, not through any effort, no striving at all, just correct thinking. Correct thinking is extremely healthy. When you have that in Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, iron will sharpen iron. And that's how you will sharpen each other. Like iron sharpens iron. That sounds rough, it's not. That means the life of God in you enhances the life of God in me. And in return, the life of God in me enhances the life of God in you. It becomes an escalation in the magnification of the love of God and the life of God in a person. That is a fulfilling relationship. In 1 Samuel 18.5 David went out whenever Saul sent him. David the king, Saul the king. Saul was the first king. He became very carnal. David eventually replaced him. He's the man who had a heart after God. That is the David that Jesus came through his line. That's the David whose throne will last forever. David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. That means that he was being led by the Holy Spirit. He had the fear of God and he had the word of God. And he applied those three things through the energy of the Holy Spirit. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened, as they were coming home, and this is from a war, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines. In verse 7, the women sang and they danced and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. David was living in the correct relationship to Saul. But Saul was living in soul power toward David. David lived so wisely before the king that the king appointed David at a very young age to be in charge of an army. And that army was extremely successful because David applied wisdom from God. He was so successful that Saul, whose relationship with David was soul power, became unhappy about it. And the reason is because Saul had his identity in something other than Christ. When my identity in my relationships is something other than Christ, those will be soul power attachments. For a season, Saul had a soul power attachment to David. It didn't last. When something happened, 
and David became the center of attention. It undermined Saul's identity. Now, soul power attachments can result in one person no longer being fulfilled by the attachment and then they leave the other party. That's what happened to Saul. Saul was no longer fulfilled when his identity and his ego was not fulfilled. So long as his identity and his ego were fulfilled, he was fine. But the moment they got challenged, the relationship went south. There was no more appreciation, no more friendship, no more closeness. Nothing that Saul appreciated about David before existed any longer by one event. The soul power. Now, if the soul power relationship is based in ego, then the ego must be maintained in the relationship or the relationship ends. Ego is devastating in a relationship. It's not how it works. It's an overflow of relationship. It's not about your ego. And the relationship that it's an overflow of is the relationship that you have with God. Watch out for ego. Ego is poison. If you find yourself in ego, realize that you need to humble yourself before God because he will start opposing you shortly. But he's letting you recognize its ego to give you an opportunity to correct it before he starts opposing you. Watch out for ego. It's a killer in relationships. There is no good thing in me. There is no good thing in me. In Jeremiah 2.27, God says about Israel, they have turned their backs to me and not their face. But in time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. Did you know it's possible to have a soul power relationship toward God? Israel had a soul power relationship toward God. They didn't pay any attention to him until they had need and then they desired something from him. That's a soul power relationship. The soul and what it desires, what it needs, responding or not responding. And then when need arises, that becomes the source of that relationship. That's soul power. You can have a soul power relationship with the Word of God. So long as the emotions are stimulated and you can sense the presence of God, you can receive doctrine. And when the emotions are no longer stimulated or you can't feel the presence of God, you stop receiving doctrine. That's a soul power relationship toward the Word of God. You can't do it. It doesn't work that way. In First Samuel 20.23, The Lord be between you and me forever. There's a relationship. That relationship lasted long after death. That was said by Jonathan to David. And when Jonathan was killed in battle, because of his relationship, which was the right form of relationship to Jonathan, David spared Jonathan's family. In those days, and particularly in this situation, Jonathan was supposed to be the 
king once Saul died. He was the one in line for the throne. Jonathan recognized that God was giving it to David. So Jonathan gave David his armor, he gave him his robe, he gave him his sword. Those were not simply clothes and armor. Those were indications of royalty. Jonathan gave him his own place, recognizing that it belonged to David from God, not to Jonathan. And they made an agreement that David would be kind to Jonathan's family as well as to Jonathan himself. Because in those days, if a king that was not in the lineage took the throne, he usually killed the family of the previous king. And that was to avoid any threat politically. Even then, politics was dirty. David agreed, even though your dad is my enemy, I'll be faithful to him. And then when he is gone, I'll be faithful to the friendship that I have with you. And your family will be benefited by the friendship that I have with you. And sure enough, Saul and Jonathan died on the same day. And David took care of Jonathan's family for Jonathan's sake. Jonathan's son who was paralyzed, was welcomed at the table of David every single day. He was completely taken care of by David because he was David's friend's son. That was not a soul power relationship. That was Christ between us relationship. Your relationship to God, my relationship to God, overflowing to the other person. That's the only healthy kind of relationship there is. Young people, if you are considering marriage, first of all, don't consider it unless God is bringing it. He makes it obvious when he does. Make sure that it's not a soul power relationship. Make sure that it's your relationship to the other person overflowing from you and their relationship to God overflowing to you, then you have hope for something healthy. If you don't have that, you're not even starting right. It's much harder to finish right if you didn't start right. Not impossible, but a whole lot harder. The Lord be between me and you. That's where it is. The Lord be between me and you. In Romans 15.2, your relationships are based in a response in faith to God that will bring you to the government of grace and the things of God will be poured out to you and then they will be poured out through you. Remember something, you're not the end recipient of the things of God. You're the passageway. It flows through you. And as long as it flows, it keeps coming. It flows through you. 
if it stops the flowing because you're not passing it on, in a relationship, that will be soul power. The way that you get there is John 15, 5. The love of God abides in you. Excuse me. You abide, you remain in the love of God and the word of God remains in you. Then you will have all the things that God wants to give to you. Otherwise, in a relationship, it is just soul power. Amen? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, simply pray, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me so much that you died for me so I can have eternal life with you. Amen.